0: Welcome to the Power Hour podcast. Today, I'm joined by career coach and author, Rachel Schofield. Rachel, I'm so pleased to be talking to you today. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's great. Well, I think the topic of career change is... Well, something I'm definitely excited to hear more about from you. The last few years have been nothing but change. Mm. For so many of us, we've all had to adapt how we work. Everyone's switched to hybrid. We've kind of adopted it. And I'm hearing a lot of people that are very, very reluctant to to return to the office, um, let alone to their their original job. And I think a lot of people are questioning their job role, their work lifestyle, and maybe even reinventing
1: their entire career. Mm. Yeah. Do you know, I think it's almost like covid took a hand grenade and just threw it into our lives in so many ways, but particularly in our working lives. And, and I think what's happened now that we're coming out of it, people are looking at those pieces that have been blasted by the hand grenade and trying to think gosh what does all this mean all these little bits that my life has sort of divided into what's that telling me about what I want next and definitely I'm seeing that it's fast-forwarded that process for a lot of people of like what is my life actually about what am I enjoying what I'm doing does it work for me so so many questions that people have that they want help with
0: Mm, agreed and I also think there's new options that people would potentially before weren't available so I know somebody who actually runs a small business well I'd say a small business they've probably got about 25 employees now so not that small and obviously during the pandemic they switched to remote first and now they're really struggling to get people to come back and they're kind of I guess trying to explore actually can we make it mandatory for people to return uh, or, or you know do we have to allow people to continue to work from home even past the pandemic and I'm seeing it a lot on on social media and LinkedIn as well people actually asking on polls saying actually if you would you apply for a job that said you had to work in an office or in one place five days a week and I was surprised to see this poll I think it was something like 13% of people said yes now I'm not sure how many people obviously took part in this but it's a very for me I just didn't I thought that it would change dramatically but I probably assumed that some places it we would return to normal but I think that actually the
1: normal whatever that is is gone gone for good mm, i think it's fascinating I mean, obviously i come at it from the the individual's point of view but i'm always keeping an eye on what organizations and companies and industries are doing i think it's a really hard one for companies to wrestle with but it, and, it, and it's very different if you're you know running a small business if you're running a kind of global empire if you're doing finance or if you're doing marketing and there's a huge discussion it's helpful i think for us all to get involved in what do we all want from work and how can employers manage that? Because we are very different. I mean, I think a lot of my work has traditionally been done with women, with mums, for whom hybrid working, the idea of having that flexibility, that ability to work from home is, is is very appealing often. But there are other people, I think a lot of young people who went through the pandemic trying to work, you know, on a laptop, on their bed in a tiny flat with their flatmate talking on a Zoom call next door, are probably like, oh my God, if I don't see anything other than these four walls, I'm going to go nuts. So it, there's that that idea of there is a drive for flexibility. I think for a lot of us, we found something more balanced in our lives, but there's also a sense that some people might think, I'd love to just be doing my own thing five days a week. I love managing my time. Other people saying, "Mm, I need people in my life, but how much of that? And of course, companies saying, How much can we make that work and and get the work done by leaving people to it and trusting them and and knowing that they'll be productive wherever they are? But how do we build that team spirit? How do we get the creativity of of a brainstorming idea? Does that work on Zoom or do we need people in? So huge amounts of discussion going on. And you're right, I think it's going to be really interesting to see where where it lands. It's very much in flux, even, even now that we're in 2023.
0: Yes, absolutely. And I also think, you know, you mentioned the individual. I saw a stat that said 45% of Gen Z have a side hustle. Now, I wasn't surprised by that at all. I th- I'm not a Gen Z, I'm a millennial, but I feel like most people in my, maybe it's because of my friendship group and I have lots of entre- entrepreneurial friends, but having a side hustle or even, I suppose, having a portfolio career or multi-hyphen method is so common now it's no longer i don't know kind of just a few people that are doing this so i'd love to hear from you a bit more about so the work that you now do as a coach and
1: the kinds of people that you typically help Mm. so as i alluded to earlier i sort of started my career coaching role working with as we often do people a bit like me so so women in their i'm in my 40s now but women often in their 30s 40s mums predominantly i was working with who Probably were sort of coming up for air. Their kids were sort of maybe going off to school, even senior school, and they'd perhaps had a kind of unsatisfactory fudge with their work, as a lot of mums do. We know they sort of there's compromises to be made, there are sacrifices to be made, and you suddenly think, hmm, hang on, I've fallen into this way of working, or I'm going back to work after a career break, and I, is this really what I want? So that was where I started, with a lot driven by a passion by me really, and that I was meeting so many brilliant women who had taken part-time work or who'd stepped out of work, sometimes knowing that that was a privilege to be able to afford to do that. So so they weren't resenting that, but they were probably thinking, I'm not now where I want to be. So they were thinking about that reinvention space. Do they go back to their old job? Do they take a moment to think maybe there's something new ahead of me now that I'm nearly 40, but I might have another 30 years. So that was where I started with this what I think of as the untapped potential of so many fantastic women who've kind of become invisible once they become mums, but don't get me started on that. <laughs> um, but gradually, particularly with COVID and what we were talking about, so many changes there. I work with people who have got into that space of what the hell, <laughs> who have got into that I need to pause and reevaluate and just not sleepwalk into the future. And I think that happens at various points in people's lives. I think it comes up a lot for women because there are more obvious little milestones in life, having kids, uh, you know, hitting the menopause, looking after an elderly relative. A lot of that falls on on women. So there are more obvious moments where women stop and, and do a stock take. But actually, I find I was chatting to a guy last week who said, I first started thinking about my career when I got divorced. Because he said that moment caused me to look at a lot of elements of my life and what worked for me or people who um, maybe have a death in the family. So some kind of moment where their world kind of shakes and Covid is a massive one and they think, is this really working for me? You know, they hit a big birthday, 30, 40, 50. And there's always that moment of thinking I need some help. And that's why they come to me because something's maybe not right. I think maybe this is a moment to think again. But where do I even start? Well, that is often the thing, isn't it? Where to start. I think it is so overwhelming. And
0: yeah, it's not surprising, actually, what you mentioned about these moments that kind of pull the rug from underneath mm. your feet and you look at everything in your life. And they can also make other things seem insignificant. You know, if you're worried about things and then suddenly something big changes in your life and you think, actually, none of that stuff matters, mm. you know, whether it's outstanding emails or, or work commitments. But I do think it really does, yeah, shine a spotlight on your day to day life and let's be honest for most people if they work five days a week or four days a week you're spending so much time at work with your colleagues or even if you're working from home you're spending so much of your energy your time your treasure your talent on one thing and if it's not if you yeah if it's not in alignment with the things that you love if it doesn't energize you if you feel stale or even if you just feel like your your contribution isn't valued anymore you know like you described about people and typically women maybe feeling a bit kind of yeah just like pushed to the side then yeah i'm not surprised actually that covid made so many people say actually maybe now is the time to make a change but this where to start and this Mm -hmm. overwhelming you know web i think fear first comes to mind a lot of people probably think oh actually what if, what if it goes wrong, or where do I start? And then I think the other one that I hear from people who I know want to change careers or at least start something different is that they feel like they've put so much graft and so much energy into one industry already or into one career or one business that they feel like that's somehow wasted or they'll have to go back to zero, back to the bottom of the ladder to start something new. So I guess looping back with all of that, if someone's listening to this and thinking, yeah, actually, I've been thinking about changing careers since the pandemic, but you know, three years later, I haven't done it yet, where should they start?
1: Mm. In my book, I kind of take people through a five-step process. And, and although it sounds like sometimes people are like, oh, let me add it, let me add it. I often invite people to start by sorting out the mindset, if, as you said, the what ifs, because so many people want to do it and have wanted to do it for years and they never quite get off first base. And I think that's normally because they're sitting, I always say, you've, you've got to get off your butt. People are normally sitting on a really hefty butt, B-U-T butt, is that, you know... Uh, I'd love to become a graphic designer, but I'm not creative. I'd love to go and work in a charity, but I'd have to take a pay cut. I'd love to become a lawyer, but I've left it too late to retrain. And I think the first thing you have to do is almost sit with that and look really closely at your butt to kind of get it under the microscope. Ooh that's a really disgusting analogy. Yeah. Um, but but engage with it and think what is it that's stopping me what are the assumptions and they are normally assumptions that I'm making about why this was not going to work because our brains do not like uncertainty. They mm-hmm. will offer you all the reasons why you can't do it. I call it the the career shifters tug of war. So on the one side of your brain, you're pulling really hard going, oh, I feel really excited. I feel quite ambitious to do something else. Uh, I feel really creative about stepping into a new world. La la la, exciting, exciting. And then as soon as you have that thought, yanking back probably like the next day after you've had a day of feeling really motivated, the next day, the other side of your brain, which tends to be stronger, yanks back saying, this will not work. You don't have it in you. You're too old, you're too young, you don't have the skills, you'd have to go back to the beginning. So you have to address that. So you need to look at what's getting in your way and put it under the microscope. So if you're thinking, I'm too old, you actually have to go, okay, well, what evidence really is there for that? Because that that first thought of I've left it too late, I'm too old is very much an assumption. So it's your brain offering you a belief as a, as a fact, So actually, I'm too old. There's no fact in that. The only fact is, you know, I'm 46 or I'm 38 or I'm 52. That's the fact, whatever's written on your birth certificate. What your brain has done is layer on assumption that that makes you too old. Mm. So actually, the first thing is to sit and go... What am I assuming? What is the truth of that? Do I have any real evidence for a lot of these? Let me just sort of try and put those to one side, reframe them, and then get started on the hard stuff.
0: Yeah. And you know what? I'm thinking as you're saying that about that, I'm too old, because I'm sure so many people have said that. I'm sure you've heard that so many times. But for me, it's not about the age or the number, it's more about the kind of stage of life Mm -hmm. and the kind of energy that you have. Because we all know some people who have maybe they're in their 50s and they have the energy of a 20-year-old and vice versa. I know people who are kind of, you know, late 20s and they're kind of, oh, can't really be bothered with mm-hmm. that. That sounds like a lot of work. Oh, uh, Because, for example, someone asked me recently about starting a podcast and I said, oh, yeah, you know, great. you would probably be great. Tell me about it. What's the idea? You know, what kind of guests would you interview? And this is how I typically do it. And this is, you know, how long potentially per week I might spend researching the guests and listening to their work and reading their books and writing the questions. And, and they were like, wow, actually, doing that every single week. You know, I just wanted to do a podcast. You know, I just wanted to have a chat. I just wanted to record a few episodes. And I think there are, depending on where you are in the stage of life. So again, maybe you've got young children, maybe you're, I don't know, gone through a breakup and you've, depending on where your energy is at, I think is also determines how
1: ready you are to tackle change. That is a, I think you're spot on. I think one of the things I talk about early on the book is that career change requires three things and there's no judgment here. You just have to kind of check in with yourself and say, am I, am I ready for this? We can go into them, but the key one here, so there's courage, you, you're gonna to need to be quite brave and step out of your comfort zone. There's curiosity, that's massive. We can talk about that, that the, the attitude you need to bring of kind of being really curious and thinking very creatively. But the big one is commitment. Mm. I get a bit annoyed at the kind of fridge-magnet mentality that's out there of like, follow your dreams. If you can dream it, you can do it. Let let dreams be your wings. And and yeah, that's all very well. But actually, it does take time. And, and an average career change will take anywhere between kind of six and 18 months, depending on the, the scale. And that's not to put people off. I don't want to say, you know, I, I work in this space. I'm excited to help people. But actually, if you're not going to show up and do the work, if actually when you look at it, you think, oh God, I'm just not sure now is the moment, I don't have the energy, then maybe you need to think, okay, what needs to change before I am ready? Again, it's not just like going, oh no, can't be bothered. It's getting curious and saying, what would need to happen to make me feel ready? How could I make myself uh, feel more in a position to make that change? There's a great quote by um, Thomas Edison that says, opportunity is missed by most people because it is dressed in overalls and looks like work. And I'm afraid, you know, you, you can dream all you want, but you do have to kind of commit to making regular time, to, to to take steps to develop your ideas and to look into your career change. So it has to be a priority to some extent. And that's mm. not to put people off, but it's to be realistic and realistic. say, go, go at it when you've got some energy, because I think with career change, there is a kind of moment. John Lees, who's a brilliant career strategist, talks about this, that when you start things, your motivation is really high but that can drop quite quickly. So you do need to be able to sustain it by by feeling committed and, and having a powerful why. I often say to people, when you start, it needs to be more than I'm a bit bored or perhaps I could do something else. You You, you need to know why you're doing it, whether that's You know, because in 10 years I want to have earned this much or because I feel I want to have a different kind of life experience or because I'd love in five years to move to France or because I want my daughters to see me doing something else. You do need to check into what's happening at a deeper level in order to power you through i love this
0: and this is why she's so good so your book the career change guide it encourages us to reflect on our own strengths and skills and to identify what motivates us and all the things you've just so wonderfully described to us but do you think it's also helpful if someone's not working with a coach like yourself do you think it's also helpful to get maybe some insights or advice or reflections from other people as well because i think self-awareness is key and many of us think that we're very self-aware I think I saw uh, a TEDx talk once it was very funny they said I'll raise your hand if you think that you're self-aware and every single person in the room raised their hand and I think statistically it's probably maybe yeah. like 50% or less for real? yeah we all think we're so self-aware but if somebody else somebody who you trust who who has maybe worked with you or knows you well knows your strengths and weaknesses and also knows maybe what you're uh, tendencies are could also give you some advice and say, well, actually, you're brilliant at this. Or, you know what, that's not really your strength. Is that is that helpful for someone to engage in that? Do you
1: know, I think the role of other people in your career change is really interesting. So on the one hand, yeah, absolutely. There's an exercise that I get people to do when they're looking at their strengths and their skills. I invite them to go away and do some work on thinking about it themselves and I give them some exercises in the book to do that. But I challenge people and they normally look at me and kind of see the colour draining from their face. I say, "Okay, what I want you to do before we next meet is to email or talk to five people who know you and ask them what your top three strengths are. And people normally go, oh, my God, there's no way I'm going to do that. And actually... People who often I have encountered the most resistance come back and say, oh, I, I ended up asking seven people. I asked 10 people. I, I rang my sister in America and I spoke to my cousin because I happened to run into her. Um, but, yeah, I think it can be really helpful to get out of your own head sometimes and get other people's perspective definitely on what you're good at. Because we often take for granted, we sort of go... Well, everybody's, you know, good at that, aren't they? And people go, no, but you're an exceptional communicator or you're much more creative than most people. And and you sort of don't see it because you've been like it for so long. So absolutely. When it comes to getting a second pair of eyes on on what you're all about, the only slight danger in involving other people in your career change, and I talk about this in the book, you do need to choose who quite Mm -hmm. carefully. Yeah. We all have people in our lives when we start a career change who are the kind of pourers of cold water. And it's often quite close family, friends, yeah. often a parent, however old you are, not to, you know, whether you're 25 or you know, 46. People who are already in your life who have kind of compartmentalised you because they've known you for so long. They're like, well, you know, John is a teacher. And he's got two kids and so he's got to have stability and he's been teaching for 20 years so he'd be mad to throw that in. And unconsciously or (laughs) consciously, they almost sabotage because they're trying to protect you. They They want you you. to be safe. Exactly. And so they'll be like, oh... Really? You think you should retrain and and become a fitness trainer? A bit risky. Mm. And of course, you you want to hear what people say, but these people have skin in the game often. They don't even realise. But if you change, it may sort of threaten the dynamic that they have with you or it will upset them because they're suddenly like, oh, I've been a bit left behind. They're not aware of that necessarily. So I always say choose your cheerleaders carefully. You want people as well who are not too quick on opinions, I think the worst people to see you through a career change are people who say things like, "If you," these are the triggers to look out for, people who kind of go, well, if I were you, you have to be like, okay, you're not me. So anyone who starts a sentence with, if I were you, I would do this, uh, is probably not a great person. I always say you need three kinds of people. You need questioners. So you need people who, when you chat to them, are really good sort of sounding boards, who Offer questions quicker than they offer advice. They don't go, Oh, well, you've said that. Well, clearly, you should go and become a a vet. Or, Mm. you know, they're just like, Ah, that's interesting. I've noticed you're saying this word a lot. You know, the same role as a coach would take. So, you need questioners and good listeners rather than advisors. You need people who can help hold you accountable. I always say, if you can have an accountability partner, it's, you know, someone who you can check in with in the role of coach. You know, you say, Okay, I'm committing to go away and do these three things to try and move me forwards. Can I just send you a WhatsApp message? we just meet for a coffee every couple of weeks. Ideally someone else who's got a project on the go and you say, okay, let's check back in. We've both said you're gonna do this, I'm gonna do that. So you need you need questioners, you need accountability partners partners and you definitely need encouragers. The people who will always kind of meet your, your worries or your questions with a kind of "Ah, okay, that's interesting." but glass half full, let's you know how else could you get around that? The people who are going to be problem solvers with you, not like, "Oh, yeah, it sounds like you've, you've hit a real problem. You probably just need to leave it at that because yeah, it's, it's a sign. yeah. <laughs> and, and, so, and it can quickly take your energy away. So those are the kind of people I always say, get those people on your team, people who are going to be a bit like covering you in cold sick. You know. Oh, I love this. I'm, I've got a huge <laughs> smile on
0: my face because I feel so fortunate that I am surrounded by the people that you just described. And I feel like some of them are even maybe two or three <laughs> rolled into one. Oh, yeah. lucky you. Yeah, lucky me. And I think yeah, I often call it challengers, people that will mm. yeah ask those questions in an encouraging way that will say, you know, have you thought about this? Maybe you're missing that. Also, people that know you well, I like totally totally uh, aligned with what you said about people limiting you maybe because they've known you for such a long time and that can be for so many people they'll say that to me as well when i work with people i do q a's at the end of sessions and they'll say Actually yeah, you you know, they know they can do it, but it might be that mum or that partner who says, "Oh, you won't stick with that," or mm. "Oh, you've said this before," or "Oh, and you kind of think it holds people back because who they were isn't necessarily who they are mm. or who they want to become." So I think that's a real key one. I hope people can hear that. If there's someone in your life who, yeah, who you were isn't who you are, then maybe you just need to have that conversation with them in a respectful, loving way and say, "Listen, I am different now. It's different now and this is something I really want to pursue and it's exciting for me. Please support me because it's very easy for us to yeah, maybe chat to a friend who is encouraging but then if you with that other person more, it can um, drown out that, that voice. Yeah, I think.
1: And, it, and, and as you say, it's not necessarily from a bad place. It's not people deliberately trying to put you off. But I, I have some case studies in the book, and there was a lovely woman who decided she wanted to leave teaching. I mean, she was in her 40s, and she wanted to go into charity work. And she said, in a way, it was hugely flattering. But once she started to let people in her community know that she was going to leave teaching, of course, people are like, oh, but you taught my daughter, and you were so Oh, you were such a great teacher. And of course it can cause you to hugely wobble. And that's not meant, they're not trying to do you down and say you wouldn't be good as a charity worker. But but yeah, other people's voices can be quick to, to throw you off.
0: Yeah. And one more question I had for you actually about what you just said. You said you often ask your clients to ask people for their strengths. So maybe five people tell me what their strengths are. Now, I'm quite a thick skinned person, so I want to know how do you feel about asking others to highlight to you maybe your weaknesses, areas of improvement. I do this uh, questions and action session sometimes and and I used it myself when I was leaving. i had been working with one organization I was going to work somewhere else. And so with a couple of people in the team who I'd worked with and who I respected and who I valued their opinion, I asked them, okay, in this new role, I told them where I was going, what I was going to be doing. In this new role, what are some things that I should be mindful of? Like, what do I do sometimes, maybe by accident, unintentionally, that kind of detracts from the goal or detracts the group? Because I know I can be quite uh, energetic, and I can talk and do you know, have lots of ideas. I'm an ideation person, so that kind of has its you know pros and, and cons. And I actually asked two people, separate occasions, and said yeah, going to this new role, what do I need to do better? What do mm. I need to stop doing? What's what's really annoying or what's holding me back? And I really wanted them to tell me the truth so that I could go into that new environment, A, with the confidence and with the uh, improvement and to kind of practice some of these things. But I'm aware, as I
1: said, that I'm very thick-skinned. So for some people, do you think it would benefit that's them such, or crush them? That, Adrian, that's such a good question. I have never done it with my clients because we're focusing more on kind of what they're good at because that's driving towards guiding them into what they might want to do rather than in a career development space, I'd probably be more inclined to do that rather than career change. But I don't see why not. Actually, I think you're right. I think it's all around how you frame it and who you ask. So it's not the kind of what are my weaknesses. It's the, if people listen to the Squiggly Careers podcast, they they have a great way of doing this, that it's it's not sort of what are my weaknesses. It's what would be even better if. Mm. It's like, you know, what could I do differently? As you say, what could I do more of, what could I do less of that would have an impact? So why not? Yeah, and, and playing with those ideas, the other thing that people often look at in this space is looking at what's a perceived weakness. And people often say, well, on the other side of your weakness is is your strength. That mm-hmm. kind of two sides of a coin. People are probably familiar with this. So, you know, if, if you know that your weaknesses, you think, oh, I'm very disorganized often the strength is that you're 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 not good on the detail because you're a big picture visionary strategic person and you're very good with the ideas but you're not necessarily good at the implementation so playing with kind of what's my corresponding weakness how could i address that and so on so yeah why not i think as i say curiosity is massive when you're looking at yourself and what you could do and and what you'd be great at so the more bits of that puzzle that you can plug into yeah go for it but yeah Maybe if you're sensitive, you might need to put some ground rules in and say, this is how I would love you to feed that information to me. (laughs) More about, yeah, what could I do? What would be even better if rather than like, you're lousy at this. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, if you weren't self-aware, you certainly
0: will be after receiving some of that (laughs) feedback. Um, And another thing that I thought would be good to discuss with you, Rachel, is about the why. Because I have heard so many people, you know, we've all heard the great resignation. I saw a stat that said typically people under 30 change change their job role every 18 months mm-hmm. which is shocking it costs employers a lot of money to to replace staff so when i'm thinking about the why you know i work in the well-being space and i go into lots of organizations and talk to them about well-being and their well-being structure and often a lot of people if they are leaving due to burnout overwork mental health issues they might not actually tell the truth they might not tell their employer this is the reason actually that I'm leaving this role because I'm burnt out or I'm stressed because sadly they still think there's a stigma attached to that mm. and it's going to reflect badly on them but what it got me thinking about is well if people are leaving for these reasons surely if they're going to go into a similar industry or a similar role somewhere else are they going to experience those things again and it, i thought it was quite interesting because a lot of people have said yeah you know we know that lots of young people or not just young people actually are leaving work due to burnout. I hear this word again and again and again, you must as well. And so I'm kind of thinking, well, leaving work because of burnout, to go where? And to do what? So, with the people that, with your experience, are you hearing that message? Are you hearing people saying to you, "Actually, I'm exhausted. I'm burnt out, and that's why they want to change careers."
1: Yeah, I think I think it's definitely. I mean, you, you're right. You only need to look at some of the trends that we're seeing to see that can be a huge thing. And and again, looking at it from the point of view of employers, I think there's a huge debate that has to be going on there about why people are leaving and what needs to change in our cultures. I think for people who have experienced that themselves and are thinking, "How do I not just leap out of?" the frying pan into the fire. As with a lot of the work I do with my clients, it's trying to get specific. So when people are saying, I'm burnt out, I'm exhausted, I've got overwhelmed, it's trying to, in order to better inform what you do next, is try and get specific about where that's come from. So. Is that because of how you're working? You know, is that because actually the pandemics means you you're now working totally from home and that that's causing burnout because you've you've stopped being able to put boundaries around your work. Um, people are expecting too much of you. So is it is it how you're working? Is it who you're working with? Is it something to do with your colleagues or a particular boss? Is it where you're working? Is it the culture of your particular company that expects too much and and is is creating that burnout? Is it what you're doing? Is it actually the nature of the work that you you suddenly think this is causing me discomfort and and overwhelm because what I'm doing no longer feels satisfying or meaningful. So I think when you have those feelings, which can be huge, it's trying to break them down so that you can see what's happening, what's at the root of it. And so, as you say, so that you don't just recreate the same job in a similar organisation, which will have exactly the same corporate values and, and culture and expectations. Sometimes that's all quite external, isn't it? I've invited people to think about the who and the what and the where. Sometimes it's it's thinking about what's happening for me internally or in other parts of my life. Is it that there are things happening with my family, whether that's my kids or my parents or my relationship that are causing me to have too much on my plate? What could I do about that? Is it something to do with, you know, my inability to, and no criticism implied, but is it my own inability to set boundaries and to say what I will and won't do? So, yeah, I think the more you can really reflect on where is the source of that burnout and that overwhelm and that, that trouble for your mental health, the more you can think, this is what I need to be doing differently. This is what I need to make sure I don't step back into or recreate. And what else could that look like if I like kind of what I'm doing, but the industry I'm in seems to, to always create this particular environment. Where could I take my skills somewhere different that would be different? So, yeah, playing yeah. around with the, the different pieces.
0: Yeah, it's very complex, isn't it? And mm-hmm. I think that you're totally right, this idea of being quite empowered and taking ownership yourself. You know, the boundaries word is so it's easy in theory sometimes it's hard to to put into practice but i think it's really really important because as i said i speak to so many people who they've accepted exhaustion and burnout and this culture of well everyone else in my team or everyone else in my organization and it's shocking actually it's really shocking it's dangerous for a start Mm. because people are telling me you know they take this medication or they take that medication or people that say they work you know sometimes up until Midnight, one o'clock in the morning, all of these things. And they've maybe got children and they're doing school run and homework. And it's just so much. I think, especially actually, women, they put so much pressure on themselves to do it all, but not to complain about doing it all and to make it look like it's fine. I can just keep going, keep going, keep going. But at what cost? Mm-hmm. And I think that often as well, this word burnout, we've become like, oh, yeah, I'm burnt out. I'm exhausted. That's normal. Yeah, it's par for the course. That yeah, uh, isn't and everybody. Yeah, yeah and exactly. We've yeah, got we do to, need challenge to challenge. That. Yeah, I think we've got to challenge that before it's you know, for some people, really, really detrimental to their physical and mental health long, long term. So moving on from that, uh, one thing you kind of touched on it before, and I really, I agree with you vehemently about these kind of Unuseful advice which just says follow your passion follow your dreams do what you love and I'm thinking okay I'm a practical person. I'm a realist So often we're told that there is this trade-off between passion and profit, which personally I don't believe to be true at all But we hear career advice that simply implies that we can follow our passion and kind of just live happily ever after Doesn't mention you know how much you might earn or, or whether you'll have sick pay and all these kind of things So if you do have a mortgage and you have kids or maybe you want to you know save to get a deposit for a house all these things things require money we need to earn money many of us want and need to earn money so in your experience does the pursuit of passion mean
1: that we have to accept earning less money that's such a good question that word passion is kind of my bet noire slightly I, i i have a funny relationship with it and i sometimes Um, post on this on social media to try and find because it's a word that get you know in career books it gets kind of thrown in and as you say it's the fridge magnet thing again isn't it it's like you know find a job you love you'll never work a day in your life all that sort of thing i'm a bit dubious i think first of all i invite people to almost examine their relationship with that word passion Some people do find it really empowering and think, yeah, I have this passion that I do want to look into, that that feels like it's something for me that would really make my working life so rich and so exciting and so fulfilling and I want to do something with it. Other people, when they're told, find your passion, that is a hugely intimidating word some people are like but I, I don't have a passion i have a sort of I have some interests but i don't have something that sort of drags me out of bed at 5 in the morning to start my own business you know saving penguins in the arctic so i always want to say to people you know claim that word as your own or don't see what it brings up for you because it can be a bit intimidating <laughs> some people it's a brilliant motivator some people it's kind of a hindrance like oh well For me, my work isn't really about passion. It's about having something that fits around my my passion for surfing, but I don't want to become a sort of professional surfer. I just want to have a job that's kind of simple enough to allow me to kind of take big trips to Australia and go surfing every summer. So think about how that passion fits in. But to come back to your point about the trade-off, Again, I think you have to be specific. I think there's no sort of, I think there's no sort of amazing formula that you can say, well, you know, if you care enough about it, you'll be able to make it make money. Because yeah, clearly that's nonsense. I mean, if you work, if you work in marketing and you earn seventy-five grand a year, and you think my passion would be to be a baker. You know, it's all very well to say, great, you know, go and set up and you can start your own cupcake company. But probably in the first year, you're not going to make 75 grand. So you just don't want necessarily somebody going, do it, throw it all in and buy a load of flour and icing sugar. So I always say, well, let's get let's get curious. Let's do some of the maths around your salary. So there's some really good um, sites here in the UK. Things like Money Saving Expert, um, and I think the Citizens Advice on their websites have some of these really interesting kind of calculators where you can play with your money and think, okay, you know, how could I at least make a start on something? Because often with the, with the following your passion, it's about building. It's about so you know this is where the idea of side hustles come from, isn't it? It's not like one day you you're earning a hundred thousand and pounds and the next you've decided to go and become a dog trainer and you've got no income because you've got a mortgage and you've got so how could you think about a transition let's let's look at your finances let's think well if i brought my my main job down to four days a week could i spend one day a week starting to build this business or training as a pastry chef or going into business with a mate or doing some freelance work so it's all about that and i think also It's about thinking of the different... I have an exercise in my book called Hobby to Hero. And it's about understanding that any passion you have has a spectrum. Mm. So say you love baking and you think, I'd love to incorporate that in some way. Obviously, at the kind of hero end of that, the kind of full-on going hell for leather to become a kind of star baker is yeah, my dream with that passion is to run my own bakery. In fact, no, my own chain of bakeries to then expand and have bakeries in New York and Paris. You know, And you think, yeah, great. Okay. So that's one end and you could absolutely work towards that. But going back to the other end of the spectrum is hobby. And you think, is my hobby something that I, is my passion something I have to make into my work? Or would I enjoy just making sure that I make time in my busy life to bake for my family once a week, or to have my own Instagram account talking about what I bake. So playing around with and some people might be like, gosh, no, that's not enough. I do need more than that. But there's a spectrum. Mm. So, for example, say, going back to our our example of if you're in marketing, and you think I would like to be involved some way in my passion for, for baking and cakes. I can't straight away buy my bakery or start my own business, but I could at least take my marketing job in finances, which is really boring, and start trying to become a marketeer in, in something more aligned with hospitality and catering and bake. You know, I want to go and be the, you know, the social media manager for Hummingbird Bakery. That would be a lot more interesting to me because my passion is that than being a marketer for something really dull. So it's playing around and thinking a passion has lots of incarnations. And you can take your time to get there or you can feed different bits of it in different parts of your life. So again, it's very personal and I, mm. that's what I love to get into with my clients go, what would that look? What would that look like? What could that look like? How long have you got? Are you prepared to invest some time in this? Does it need to be tomorrow? Because the answer then of how you channel that passion will look very different yes curiosity again see now so many things there. I wanted to jump in
0: the first one was when you said about the example of the surf trips now I think this is a brilliant one for people to think about because sometimes I'm not suggesting you just do a job you hate and just you know for the cash but i do know friends who they would say their jobs fund their passions their job might not be their passion but they love their life they have enriching life and you know particularly the friends i'm thinking about that do a lot of endurance events they travel the world and they go to run these different races in valencia and in south africa and all these different places and their nine to five day job here in the city funds their passion and they wouldn't change it and they love it and I think there is you know I think there's almost become like rammed down our throats a little bit that like you know unless you're pursuing your passion you're kind of selling your soul you know sitting tapping away at a a laptop and you can't live your best life when actually I think there is a way yeah to to find that balance and then the second thing was about hobbies and this I love this scale of hobby to hero because I say to people hobbies are sacred and actually now many people don't have hobbies because if they do or they are good at something straight away it's like well you should monetize that you should start a business you should put that on YouTube you should use this hobby and this skill and this passion and then the reality might be that it no longer is fun anymore Mm -hmm. because now there's results attached there's profit there's it becomes a job and no matter how much you love baking those cakes when it's a job when you've got deadlines you it's going to become just like the the overalls it's going to become work yeah so keep your hobbies as hobbies if you if you have something that is sacred that you enjoy and there's no measure attached to it then just enjoy that i think if you can without having to incorporate it into your work in any way actually Mm -hmm. keep it as this like separate secret thing that yeah nobody uh is going to give you
1: some results about or some you know some objectives i i totally i totally agree with you adrian because i think there is a slight sort of second-class citizen thing we've almost like said well there are people who have found their passion in life and who do it for their job and those are that's like the holy grail those are the magical people sprinkled with fairy dust and the rest of us must be kind of very boring mundane citizens who are still like searching in the dark swamp for our passion and living this miserable existence and that's not really helpful actually When I work with people, uh, when I coach people, we do a session on kind of your interests. And I always say to people, just to warn you, we're looking at this holistically. I'm not going to get you to come back having done this exercise, thinking about what you're interested in and what excites you, and then go, therefore, you must take this professionally. I just want you to kind of stock take and say, actually, I've realized I love singing. The outcome of that is not for me to go, aha. Right. Well off you go to the Royal College of Music and train as an opera singer, age forty two. It's it's also to go, Okay, so are you in a choir? No, well I stopped being in a choir when my kids were little, there was no time. So sometimes people are just like, actually, I just if I reconnected with that and joined my local choir again or I started getting back on my bike and cycling, because I used to love that when I was a student, I was in all the cycle clubs. And sometimes it's just thinking my life is not, doesn't need to be boxed into this has to be career, this has to be um, all driving towards something that is paid, as you say. It's like, let's take a moment and think, how would that look in different scenarios?
0: Yeah, so much, so much great advice in here, Rachel. I really hope that people are taking note. And if not, of course, they can get the book. Ah, Thank you. So let's move on to talk about the power hour. Mm. So the concept of the power hour, are you familiar with it? I
1: am, although I I think I'm going to epically fail.
0: You know what? It's always so interesting when I bring this up because some people's face light up and they're like, yep, I'm ready here. Let me tell you. Other people, they kind of, I see their body language like shrink and they're like, oh, no, Adrienne's going to judge me because of my power hour. When in reality, I've done nearly. 250 episodes and so everybody's power hour is completely different I've heard everything from well cold water swimming to meditation to people that say they don't really have a power I've heard people say that the first thing they do in the morning is pick up their phone and scroll through social media there is no judgment this is a judgment-free <laughs> podcast um but I would like to I think before I dive into yours actually Rachel I think I'd love to if people are kind of got all the cogs turning right now thinking about their own career and their own life are there any things that some people could do maybe tomorrow, in their power hour, so the first hour, to maybe just take one small step in the direction of change?
1: Oh, yeah. Do you know, the the thing that would come to mind, I talk a lot about this with, with clients and in the book, is connecting with other people. If you want to make a career change, traditional routes of career applications, jobs and so on, are not your friend. That actually, to make a shift, the magic is in other people. You need to be setting out to chat to people who are in the world that you want to move into, who have walked the path that you dream of walking, who have the skills that you aspire to have, who have the experiences and the wisdom that would really serve you. It intimidates people like, oh my gosh, I I don't do networking. It's not networking. It's setting out to have conversations with people. You can start so easily. You don't have to, you know, you want to be a journalist. The first thing to do is not to email the editor of Red Magazine. You know, don't start there where you're still at the like, Hmm, would this be interesting? Could this work for me? You know, just reach out to your mates from the gym or, you know, the people that are at your antenatal class and just say, by the way, one of the things I'm exploring is journalism. I'm really keen to talk to people who have some experience in this world just to hear about, you know, what their work entails, what their daily sort of... Um, what their day looks like, how they got into it, what their industry is doing. So just reaching out and saying, who know, Who does anyone have a friend who's in journalism who I could have a 30-minute cup of coffee with? You're not looking for a job, you're not asking for a favour, you just want to chat.
0: Even that, though, even that takes courage, doesn't it? Because people, once you tell others, then it's real. You've got to, you know, commit to it, or they might ask you a question, and then what are you going to do when you say, oh, actually, I don't know. I think even that, mm. even when I say that to people sometimes, I, whatever their goal is, I'll say, we'll declare it. Tell people, mm. you know, say it out loud, it becomes, more real to yourself but you do have to be ready for that person to maybe check in with you like you say a couple of weeks later and say oh how's that going you know you said you were pursuing journalism and then yeah I think sometimes even that you mentioned at the start it takes courage and it really does and it takes a lot of courage to share your ideas, to put yourself out, even just that conversation that says, actually, yeah, this is something that I'm interested in. You know, again, you might be shut down. Someone say, well, you can't, you want to do that. You know, where's this come from? But just having that courage to put it out there because you never know no. those conversations can lead to so They many really
1: things. do. And I think particularly for career changes, immersing yourself, finding ways to connect with that world that initially is quite foreign to you is where the opportunities lie and it can be a slow burn but the more you you talk to people who are in that world the more you go along to things where people are, the more you immerse yourself in that industry I, I have these methods in the book because People tend to reach for something which is, I want to know about, you know, how to become a virtual assistant. I want to know about how to retrain as a graphic designer. So I will Google. People are like I will do some research. I will Google, and oh my gosh, they just like Google endlessly for weeks, months, years. You know, probably they've got the same ten tabs open that they just keep going back to, thinking they're going to find something new the next time they go. I have to tell you you are not going to find the answer to your career change on a computer screen. You will find the answer in other people. Other people are interactive. They, they they're much better than any browser and it is a bit scary but start with a small network of people you trust because you what you don't know what you don't know. So I might think well you know I'm interested in Um, working in something scientific. Well, there's no point me asking my brother John because, you know, he's a solicitor, so clearly he he knows nothing about the science world. But actually, you don't know who your brother John knows. You don't know who his old flatmate at university was and what they've gone on to do. You don't know who his next-door neighbour is. If you just are prepared, and you're right, it can be scary, but to just reach out and say, I would love to talk to somebody who does this or who works in this industry. And the key thing to get over that hump is not to say... I've decided I want to be an ex because you're right, people are like, oh, oh, well, how how you? If you just say, I'm exploring... A few new avenues. I think position yourself as an explorer. So you're not committing, you're not saying you've decided, you're not claiming you're ready to, you know, retrain as an astronaut. You're just saying, "I'm interested in this. I'm exploring it. Who could help me with my exploration?" Oh my gosh, I've got another question. We are <laughs> going to get to your power hour, but you just got me no, thinking. No, no, I'm deliberately procrastinating on the power hour.
0: Okay. Well, there's one more thing you got me thinking about then, which I suppose I should caveat by giving you my opinion and my side of it. I am not a fan of this idea of fake it till you make it. Now I've heard so many people give this as advice to say to people if you want to be that start saying that you are start telling people that you are so for example here's one that i know of someone said to me they wanted to become a makeup artist and they really wanted to do weddings bridal makeup you know it's what such a happy wonderful day what a great thing to be able to spend every weekend with brides to be and their bridesmaids and just be such an amazing wonderful job okay great so if you start telling people I'm a bridal makeup artist. This idea of fake it till you make it, the rationale I heard was that if you say to people, "Oh, I've never done this before, but I want to start," no bride's going to say, "Hey, let me be your guinea pig on my wedding day" because they're thinking, "No thanks." So, the idea was, well, just tell them that you've already done 5 weddings and just, you know, kind of fake it till you make it. And I hear this so much and inside I cringe and I can't bear it because I think that we've lost this honesty of a start to say I'm a beginner I'm starting which let's be honest we've all been beginners once it's okay to say I'm starting I'm learning I'm a beginner and I think this idea and keep telling people fake it till you make it is quite detrimental and dangerous but that is just my side my opinion I would love to know Rachel you are the career coach you are the coach is this the advice fake it to make it? Can it ever be useful? Have I got it wrong?
1: No, um, I think I'm with you. I th- I can see where it's coming from, but I think the example you've given to me is actually it's telling a lie. <laughs> so I'm I'm not really comfortable with that. So I think no. I think you're, that this idea of being a beginner. There was a lovely there's a lovely woman who I talk about in the book a case study called Kath who in her 50s became um, a website designer. She'd been in digital marketing, but years ago, she wasn't really familiar with building websites. And And she said one of the hardest things she had to get to grips with was being a beginner and how that can make you feel really small. And with career change, it is one of those mental hurdles because you're like, I mean, I had it. I I was a BBC presenter for 20 years and then I was a career coach. I was experienced at being a presenter. When I started being a career coach, I'd coached, you know, 10 people on my training course. And you think... I'm a beginner, I don't like it. I can't be a beginner at something when I'm in my 40s. That makes me just feel minuscule. But as Kath said, there's also power in being a beginner because you're in this learning mindset and, and people often you bring an enthusiasm, a creativity, a new perspective that people may not have come across before. So she said, I, I realised that I almost need to make a virtue of that fact that I'm mm. setting out, be honest, and, and making those adjustments. I mean, you're right, you, you want to build up, particularly with an own business that you're starting out as a beginner, going back to your makeup um, artist example yes you need to kind of build that experience you do need to get some people who who let you work on them <laughs> <Practice>. <laughs> make them yeah. fabulous but yeah I think you can't lie about that but you just you're honest and you say to a friend you say can I can I come around and, and do your makeup you need know, to start with friends you start in a voluntary capacity you you realize you you and your mates are all going to some big Christmas event I know you want to do weddings but you think you know what are the stepping you say okay gang Can we all get to my house two hours early? I'm gonna do all of your makeup. What I'd love is your feedback. How did you find it? And then you do build and you sort of document that. And so you take the photos. So actually, although maybe you weren't paid initially, you can then honestly hand on heart say, you know, I've done, you know, 20, Uh, christmas party makeups or whatever and then you find a friend who's getting married and you might yeah she might look at you like you've got to be kidding (laughs) no pressure (laughs) but you say well could i come and do a rehearsal for you two Mm. weeks before so and i can talk to you about and it might give you an idea of what you want to ask the makeup artist that you've paid for what about what you want so yeah it's finding ways to to try out to test to to build a body of evidence but that is not saying to people, I'm this one, I'm not this.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. And I think, as I said, I've heard it so many, really recently. I have seen hearing people telling, particularly young people saying, well, you know, if you want to become that and if you want to do that, then just start telling people, you know, declare it almost this idea of, you know, affirmation and becoming and kind of just write it in your Instagram bio. Then suddenly you're a DJ and I just find it <laughs> like, I'm like, this is not helpful and it's not necessarily about the honesty and the just, you know, lying, but it's just, I think, be, yeah it has to be discussed accepting that it is okay to say i'm new to this mm. i'm a novice i think i can't remember the word but it's a really brilliant word i heard actually a french word and i really wish i could remember it now i think it might even just be the word amateur what it actually means you know this kind of i'm do
1: you know, do you know yeah what I mean? so it, i think it's to do with the how much what you love and what yeah. you yeah
0: yeah that you you love something and actually that because you love it you're gonna do it and i really like that but i am going to bring it back ah, to the parallel I, I don't know what you're going to say i'm sure it's not going to be that bad hold up So, talk to
1: us. Typically, what time do you get up in the morning and what's the first hour of your day like? So, typically, I get up at uh, quarter to seven and the first hour of my day is I've got teenage... Well, one's just gone off to uni. So my oldest, our oldest daughter is 18. She's gone, but I've got a 15-year-old still at home. And you know what I'm going to do here because I see it in coaching. You're, I'm not going to fool you here, but you're <laughs> going to hear a load of excuses as to why my power hour doesn't look like it should. But yeah, I so I initially have to go and get my 15-year-old up because she would sleep through seven alarms. Um, and then I'm kind of into that getting up other people's own. Like she "Where well, my tracksuit trousers, can you look in the airing cupboard? You know, all that stuff, thinking about... You know, food, so my power hour isn't my first hour is not ideal. and I should be doing I should be following your advice, Adrian, and I should get up earlier. The problem I have, Here we go. Here come the excuses. I need to eat. I have this vision of this amazing first power hour where I stretch because I I have quite problems with my back being really stiff. So I'm like, I would do this lovely stretch routine. I would do some exercises, do a bit of weights, get a bit. But I'm always so hungry when I wake up. And then I think, but if I eat, which is what I want to go and do, eat like a Weetabix and have a cup of tea. Well, then I can't do the exercise because I'm like full of <laughs> bits. So okay. yeah. My... Also,
0: it's interesting you use this word "should." You know oh, this I account. know. Why do so <laughs> many people? Yeah, I should do this. I should now. My challenge to you, I suppose, would be: Why is? What's the should? Is it because you just said there's are things you want to do, so mm. you want to stretch or you want to do some strength training, or? But actually, I want to have my breakfast and I need to uh, help my my daughter and get her up. So is this
1: should? Uh, who who's who should you do this for because you want to yeah you're so right gosh this is the peril of talking to another coach they like see you coming (laughs) um yeah it shouldn't be a should it is what i would like to do and what i actually need to do realistically is you know that first hour of the day doesn't work for me in terms of the things i would like to do so i need to just put it into a different hour of my day Mm. and what i am finding that i'm i'm liking is the bite size. um uh, Atomic Habits, James Clear, who we all you know think is a god, saying about to keep things small. So I have found on YouTube all these like five minute videos. I've become a serial Googler of kind of five minutes abs, five minute arms, because I realise I can do like the five minutes while I'm boiling the kettle for my cup of tea. Yep. So trying to break things down, it's it's the premise of coaching, isn't it? It's like mm-hmm. small steps. What you know. So I have the vision of what I would love it to be. Yeah. So I just need to join the dots to get myself there. Yeah, well, maybe,
0: you know, again, big fan of James Clear. I actually did an episode with him <gasps> such a long time ago. It was pre-pandemic and oh, it was fantastic. So I encourage you to scroll back and try and find that episode with James Clear. Yeah, author of Atomic Habits. And this breaking it down thing is is such a good idea. Also, another way is to not have the commitment of doing it daily. So I said this to somebody the other day and it was apparently a game changer for them because they now have a power hour on a Wednesday just wednesday (gasps) no other day okay because they've committed to that she said okay that's manageable i can't do power hour every day so it's not going to happen i've tried it before so i said well what about if you pick one day and so she's doing a power hour every wednesday she's been doing it for a few weeks and so far she's like actually it's better than nothing i think sometimes we think we have to be a hundred or nothing Mm. when if you think about for example taking a test what is it usually maybe 70 percent is a pass rate it's not 99 or 100 so maybe just start with one day a week does that does she get up extra early
1: she does I could do that. She does. I could get up at six. Yeah, I'm getting old. I'm often awake by six, slightly kicking my heels and thinking <laughs> I should get out of bed. Okay, challenge accepted, Adrienne. Okay, we're gonna try a one one morning a week. Power yeah, out. one day a week, and let us know how it goes. Thank you so
0: much for joining us today. I've really enjoyed this conversation and I'm sure that so many of the listeners are going to be enjoying this, got them thinking, got them asking questions, hopefully um, to themselves and others. So can you tell us once more the title of the book and where people can get it? Because I believe that it is out now.
1: Yeah. So the title of the book is published by Penguin. It's called The Career Change Guide, Five Steps to Finding Your Dream Job. And it really is a way to kind of hold your hand through the process and take you through a really clear way of thinking about what is it I want? What are some of my ideas? How do I investigate those ideas? How do I keep going when it gets a bit tough and challenging? So that hopefully you really do learn loads about yourself and the career that is going to work for you on on every level.
0: Rachel, you are such an encourager. I feel so inspired and motivated. I'm sure the listeners are thinking, oh, I actually want to work with you. So get the book. And as you say, those steps are, I'm sure, going to help you to continue with this feeling. Because if you're listening to this now feeling energized feeling motivated and thinking yes this is great this is what I need don't waste that energy often we listen to things I can do this myself and then two three four days later you think oh that was great but it's not for me so take action if you are feeling inspired and motivated and as always thank you for tuning in I appreciate it and I'll be back next week with another episode thank you Rachel my pleasure